the way they want to go to heaven. Go along to get along, baby. You don't want to rock the boat. Living in a pluralistic society as we do, most of us tend to keep our mouth shut. We will see in our scripture today that Jesus had something to say about this. Now, many of these current philosophies on religion in particular, they have some appeal to people. Perhaps it's a way to gain wealth or be more attractive or whatever it is that draws their interest. Fundamentally, many of these perspectives focus on this, how you can live the way that you want to and feel good and justified about it. Recently, I was listening to a book while I was walking by a well-known business author. This man is successful, he's very wealthy, and he also has a very big international following. You've probably heard of him or seen his ads. Now, many people are attracted to this man because he does have good ideas as well as a life that many would be envious of. Anyway, he was saying some interesting things about challenging the status quo. Just because your parents were poor doesn't mean that you have to be, he said. Now, this man came from poverty like you and I have never known, and he decided to change that. So as I was listening, I was like, okay, that's cool. And then he, he then transitioned from talking about business to discussing religion. So I was like, okay, how did we end up talking about religion? And then he suddenly said something like this. You can create your own religion. Just take the best parts of what Jesus said and what Muhammad said and Hinduism, etc., and you decide what you will adhere to, and what you will leave behind. In other words, create your own religion. Now, this may sound really good to a lot of people except for this. What if it's not true? What if there is a God? Are we really going to ultimately be accountable to God? And if there is a God... How do I find him? Religion, it is said, is man's attempt to find God. There are many different religions and therefore many different paths you will hear. Jesus came to show us the way to God. And here's the thing. Jesus was not interested in being politically correct. Jesus told the truth. Jesus was the truth. Jesus is the truth. The world did not want to hear it, and they crucified him. So this morning, before we get into the sermon, in light of all these things that are kind of floating around, And since we're all in church here, here's a few questions to kind of start out with. The first is this. Do you know Jesus? I don't mean, do you know who he is or that you've heard about him? Do you know him? 
How do you know if you really know him? And the second question to keep in mind is this. Who are you listening to? What are you building your faith on? How can you know if the foundation is secure? And, and why does it matter? Well, it matters because your answers to these questions will have an impact on you for eternity. So let's stand, if you're able, and read our passage for today. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. 14. <clears throat> Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the work themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Please be seated. The first four verses of this passage in your outline you see assurance there. It begins with, let not your hearts be troubled. So I'm going to ask you now to take a moment and pause and reflect on what is currently troubling you at this moment. Think right now and bring it to your conscious awareness. What is troubling your heart right now? Got it? Okay, now the next part of this verse says, believe in God, believe also in me. And we're going to see a reoccurring theme in our past, passage today, and that theme is the identity of Jesus, who he is. Jesus is the Son of God. More on that in a bit. So too often when we are worried, 
when we are troubled, our focus is, what can I do about it? What actions can I take to get out of this situation that troubles me? Or perhaps, why is this bad thing happening to me? Or how about, this is not fair. We tend to spend much of our thought time on things like this, but Jesus is telling us not to let our hearts be troubled. Well, how can I not, you may ask? Well, stay with me. Now, we know that these words in our passage are from Jesus to his disciples, but I think it's important to remember the timeline when he told them these things. It's Thursday when Jesus is speaking, and he's crucified the next day. He knows that time is short, and he is going to be put to death, and great sorrow will befall his followers. Put yourself in the position of his disciples after the crucifixion. Jesus, knowing what will soon transpire, is not focused on himself, but on his disciples. The disciples had been following him for three years. They had left everything to follow him. Jesus loved his disciples and they loved him. And get this, these 12 men had 12 different ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to do according to their 12 individual perspectives. Part of what we see in the scriptures is that they thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and rule the earth then. Now, we do that as well, don't we? We have our own ideas of what the Christian life is supposed to mean for us. Jesus is drawing them and us above our individual perspective into the larger, heavenly, God-directed perspective and encouraging them to look higher. His plan is bigger than theirs. They may have wanted and expected Jesus to rule the world right then, but Jesus first needed to be sacrificed for the sins of men. They may have been looking to the result and not appreciating the process that they were blind to that had already been communicated in the scriptures and through the prophets. Jesus, knowing what they would soon experience, is comforting them by getting them to look higher. So when we are troubled in our individual lives, we need to look higher because our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in Christ. When we look higher to the creator of the universe, sometimes we can see a glimpse of his hand at work. When we look higher we can then rest because we trust him for all things, because our focus is on his plan and not our own. And his plan is better than ours. And his plan will come to fruition. Verses two and three inform us where Jesus is going. He is going to prepare a place for us in heaven, for us. 
What do you imagine heaven will be like? Do you think heaven is just a place where you go so you don't get burned? Is heaven just fire insurance? For many people, that's all they want. They want the fire insurance. But Jesus says, we get a place. Maybe it's a room just for us with our name on the door. And Jesus tells us that he will come back in what? He's going to take us there to our own place that he has prepared for us. Now note here that Jesus is telling his disciples this before what they will experience that night and the next day. A friend of mine recently lost her father. Her dad was a very godly man, a pillar in the community that I grew up in. Very active in his church, very respected, a man of integrity and business. We all admired him. We all aspired to be like him. This man and his family were instrumental in my family coming to know Jesus. As he neared the end of his life, he expressed to his daughter, my friend, that he feared for his salvation. She took the time to walk him through the promises in the Bible and set his heart at ease before he died. You see, as we get older, our focus is less on what is in front of us and more reflective on things behind us. We have more time to think, and we have regrets. Many military veterans today who suffer from PTSD today are from which conflict? Not Iraq and Afghanistan, as I thought, but Vietnam. Why? Because those veterans are older now, and they're not working. And they have more time to think, to remember, to reflect. And they have regrets. You may have regrets as well. Got some things that you wish you never did on your heart today? Do you think those things in your past are impacting your standing with God? Do you think they will prevent you from gaining entrance into heaven when you depart this life, even though you are a believer? Let me show you something. Who in the audience, or rather, who is in the audience when Jesus is sharing these verses? The disciples. And Peter is there. So let's take a peek just before our passage today in chapter 13, verse 36 of John. Here's what it says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus knew what Peter would do. Jesus knew that Peter would fail and deny him three times. He told the rest of the disciples that they too would all scatter, and they did when Jesus was arrested in the garden. And yet, Jesus is telling them and us 
that he goes to prepare a place for them in his father's house. Look again at verse 2 in chapter 14. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus said these words to them before they denied him and ran away. When we are troubled by our past sins, oftentimes our perspective is ourselves and not our Savior. He saved us from our sins, not our good works. He paid the price for our sins. It is done. It is complete. Assurance. We don't need to let our hearts be troubled. When I was a young Christian, I got mad at God because events had happened that just weren't fair. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. I mean, I was all in. And then I suffered a significant life event that really shook up my world. Now, I did all the right things, so how could this have happened? But at the time, at the time, this was very real to me. I was like, fine. If that's how following you works, then I'm out of here. But guess what? Even though I was through and walking away, he didn't let me go. Why didn't he let me go? Because I belonged to him. I let go, but he did not. He drew me back to himself with grace, with loving kindness, through the actions of other believers in my life. And it was irresistible. I came back not caring if I ever knew the why of what happened to me. I just wanted to experience the love of my Savior, the security of resting in his arms again. Because there is no security like being secure in the arms of Jesus. Isn't it great when you know that you've been forgiven? And look at how the Lord used Peter after this. After he denied him three times. Now I'm sure Peter felt like the ultimate loser boy. Jesus told Peter earlier that he, Peter, would be the rock that his church is built on. And Peter went from denying he even knew Christ to being used by God to really rocking our world, didn't he? You can read all about it in the book of Acts. Be assured if you are a Christian, we do not need to fear what is on the other side of the curtain of life. Christ has already paid the price. 
Rest in his word today. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are truly pummeled by different philosophies presented by the world around us. Now, this is nothing new. It's always been that way. One thing you will hear a lot uh, today is that, hey, there's many ways to heaven. Some of their arguments seem to make a lot of sense. One of my favorite things, though, is when people say something like, Jesus was a good teacher. Or, Jesus is one of the ways to heaven. But we need to ask ourselves and them, well, what did Jesus say about that? So let's look at verses 5 through 7 again. Jesus had just told his disciples in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See that recurring theme again? Jesus is telling them who he is, but they aren't getting it. They have these ideas of who they think he is, perhaps of who they want him to be. So a few things here. Jesus had just told them where he is going in verses 2 and 3. Thomas wants to go, but he doesn't know the way. Jesus tells Thomas and us that he is the way. Now, what was Israel doing up until Jesus' time? They were relying on the law, on rules from the Pharisees, on animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. They were relying on their good works. This had been in place for hundreds of years. It was their paradigm. But that is no longer the case because Jesus is the way. There was a gulf between man and God due to our sins that we could not overcome on our own. He made the sacrifice once for all that only he could make for us. Jesus is the only way to God because of that. Likewise, our paradigm today is often what can I do to secure my place in heaven? It's not our works that save us. Jesus already paid the price to secure our salvation. And Jesus says that he is the truth. The Bible is the truth of God for you and me. Maybe you've heard others say they don't believe it. Well, I guess that's their choice, but it doesn't matter if it's true. Have you heard re someone recently uh, say something that leads you to doubt the Bible? Have you seen people that want to disprove something in there? Hey, people have been trying to do that for thousands of years and they've failed. In fact, many have been converted in that process. So who are you going to listen to? I have a friend in ministry who often encourages others to read their Bible and pray every day. Now, why is reading the Bible so important for us? Because it is the truth of God. 
It is what he wants us to know. It shows us the way to God. It will keep us from harm. I often encourage folks to always consider their parents' opinion because most other people want something from you. Your parents are some of the only people in your life that truly have your best interest at heart. So consider what they, what they share with you. Listen to them because they really, truly love you. They want to keep you from harm and heartache and pain. God, even more so. These words in the Bible will protect you from pain and sorrow and foolishness. These words will show you the meaning of life. These words will show you the way. Are you reading it? Are you being obedient to what it says? Are you putting this truth in your heart? If you truly know Jesus, you're reading it regularly. If you just know who he is, you're probably not. Remember when I asked if you know him? He told us to write these words on our heart, and if we're not reading it, we do not know them. And if we do not know them, they are certainly not written on our heart. I'm glad you're all here today, and I hope you feel welcome. But just being at church does not make you a Christian. As Leonard just told us, just because your parents are Christians doesn't make you one automatically. So I'll ask you again, who are you listening to? Jesus then says that he is the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So Jesus isn't just one of many ways to heaven. Jesus himself says he is the way. Our task as believers is not to go along to get along. It's not to affirm everyone's opinion on life in heaven. It is to share the gospel. The last thing Jesus said in Matthew was what? The Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These were the last words from Jesus in the book of Matthew, after he had been crucified and before he ascended into heaven. Why is the Great Commission so important? To point others to Christ, because he is the way, the only way. This is a matter of life and death, for eternity, forever. That is what Jesus said. That is what his word tells us today. Do you believe it? Here's a question that might hurt a little bit. How does your life demonstrate that you believe it? Verses 8 through 11 have the title Revelation in your outlines. And I use this because when we look at verse 7, we see Jesus telling them who he is, but they still don't get it. 
Peter says to show us the Father, and that is enough for us. They are still stuck in their old paradigm, even though they have been with Jesus for the past three years. They saw the miracles with their own eyes, but they're still stuck in their old paradigm. Jesus is telling them that he is God in the flesh. (coughs) God is not like us. God is holy. We cannot handle the presence of God in our human form. He had to send his son to become a man to pay the price for our sins and communicate with us in a way that we can understand. Time is running out. Jesus needs to get the truth out to his disciples. Jesus knows what's coming. It's Thursday. A former roommate of mine was really good at asking this question of others. If you died right now, do you know where you would go? Now, I have never been good at that kind of questioning, but my roommate really was. He would just meet someone, strike up a conversation about the weather or a football game, and then he would shift gears and ask them that question. And every time I witnessed him do this, the people he was talking to responded. They were not offended. They responded, which soon led to a deeper conversation, and oftentimes, ultimately, they were converted to Christ. I saw then that people are looking for God, and they need someone to show them the way. From my observation at the time, they could tell he was genuine, and as they continued to talk, they could see that he really loved them, which got their attention. Now, he was not a preacher or a full-time missionary. He was a lieutenant in the Marine Corps going around asking that question, and God used it. I share that because as we read verse 12, Jesus says that whosoever believes in him will do the works that I do. One evidence that we are truly Christians is our desire to share the gospel to others. And there are many different ways to do that, but one way we know that we know him is because this is evident in our lives. We see the truth in what Jesus says here in Acts after Jesus ascended into heaven. The day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Let me read that to you. So again, we're talking about Jesus saying, you will do uh, even greater things than I did. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, we see 3,000 souls saved at one time. This is an example of the disciples doing even greater things than Jesus did. And it's still happening today. Finally, 
Jesus tells us that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. So remember the thing that's troubling your heart right now? Have you brought it to Jesus? Have you asked him to remove the burden that's weighing heavily on your heart? I've told you before that my tendency is to be self-reliant. So when I'm challenged, I tend to rely on myself. So I huff and I puff and I puff and I huff, but I often cannot overcome whatever it is because, well, I'm just not that good. But many times in my life, facing challenges that would lead most to just throw in the towel, I cried out to God, and he answered me. He rescued me. And so the next time I was faced with a challenge, what did I do? I started huffing and puffing again until finally, hopefully, I turn it over to the Lord. So we see in his word that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. Do you belong to him? Have you gone to him? He will hear you. He will answer you. He will rescue you. When I was in high school, I attended a little independent Baptist church in my town. Now, the only reason I went, to be honest, was because my dad made me go. Maybe that's why you're here. But I was interested. I wanted to know more about Jesus. And one thing all those little independent Baptist churches had in common was the much-feared altar call at the end of every single service. Oh, how I dreaded the call to walk down the aisle. I didn't want to change my life, man. Just wanted to look good on the outside. But looking back, I appreciate what the pastor was doing. He was forcing me to get real about my spiritual life. Now, we have a different style of service in this church, but occasionally, I think it's good for us to reflect on where we really are. I mean, really. Do you know Jesus? How do you know that you know him? If you died right now, do you know where you would go? Do you think that maybe you just know about him? Do others see Jesus in your life? Are you waiting for something? Is there something in your life that you know you will have to give up and you don't want to? Life is short. Jesus is sharing these words with his disciples on Thursday. And he knows he will be crucified the very next day. We need to look higher than our present circumstances. Jesus is the only way to God. He said so himself. These words were important to the disciples then, and they are important to us now. Who are you listening to? Is Jesus calling you today? Are you going to listen to him? Let's pray.
Lord, we are grateful this morning for your word. We are grateful that you have provided clarity, that we don't have to be confused with all the things that are going around in the world today, all the different ways to heaven. Because you tell us, Lord, that you're the way. And we know, Father, that you're the way. So I pray as we reflect on this passage of Scripture this morning that you show us, Father, how you want us to apply this to our lives. That you would continue speaking to our heart, Father. That we would be unafraid to to ask questions of other people in our life who we know know you. Father, that, that we could find the true peace that comes from being forgiven and knowing that our home is with you for eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.